Support for this podcast is brought to you by Mr. Freeze's Snowy Cones Ice Cream Factory. Not only do we have your favorite flavor of ice cream for this holiday season, we have so much more. Whether you need to sit for a spell and enjoy the cool weather, lower the temperature in your entire city, or suspend somebody in frozen animation, we're your one-stop shop. Use promo code TISTHEPOD to freeze your friend for 50% off. Enjoy the show. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell them that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic! I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. Before we get into the episode, we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the heartbreaking events that have been happening around our country the past few weeks. From the New York terrorist attack on Halloween, to the Sutherland Spring Church shooting, to the shooting in Northern California, and all of the sexual harassment allegations coming out against powerful individuals that are dredging up some personal horrific memories for a lot of people. We want all of you who have been affected in any way, shape, or form to know that our hearts go out to you and we're thinking about all of you. When we started this podcast, one of our very first episodes contained a message like this for the victims of Hurricane Harvey, and we were hoping that we wouldn't have to do another pre-show message like this for quite some time. If you're counting, this is our third. The reality is, in the current state of the world, we could theoretically have one of these every episode, and we still wouldn't cover every tragic event that unfolds, because these things are happening so constantly and at such a quick pace. The reason we don't do it every episode is because we realize this podcast serves as an escape from the harsh realities of the world for a lot of people, so we do our best to keep it lighthearted and fun. Every now and then, though, we do feel the need to acknowledge goings-on in the world and just put our thoughts, prayers, and love out into the universe for those who need it. As we mentioned the last time we did a message like this prior to an episode, part of the reason that Julia, Tom, and I love Christmas so much is because of the feelings and spirit that are unique to this time of year. Selfless giving time spent with loved ones, kinship with complete strangers, peace on earth, and goodwill toward men and women. Christmas spirit is, in many ways, more than an abstract concept, but a way of life, one that we hope persists throughout the world all year. That's why we do this podcast. We want to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year and encourage all of you to do the same. We hope we can bring a smile to your faces at least once a week during these sad times, and just want everyone, especially those who are affected by these near-daily tragedies, to know that our hearts go out to you, and we're thinking of you. So, let's put a pin in all that for now, and move on to the episode proper, which will hopefully be full of brighter things. So, how's it going, guys? It's going good. Thanksgiving Um, is this week. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm so excited. I've been doing nonstop Christmas stuff the past few days. Mm, I'm jealous. Me and Sarah helped decorate my parents' house for Christmas. We saw a bad mom's Christmas, which was awesome, and it passed the Linus test. Oh, spoiler alert for whenever (laughs) we put that on the calendar. 
And we just did our Christmas cards tonight, so. Whoa, you guys are early. the ball. Well, we ordered them tonight, but still. Do you get the pictures, the personalized ones with the pictures of y'all on the front, or what? You'll have to go get your mail in a few weeks' time and see. Oh, I'm so excited I get one. I don't (laughs) send out Christmas cards. They don't have that kind of discipline. (laughs) (laughs) You don't do Christmas cards? No, I can never get them out in time. So it's really I have really good intentions, but you know. we decided uh, uh, last year to just use minted. We just upload mm-hmm. our addresses, write a little message, have them printed, and they mail them for us. So oh, literally, oh, that's nice. I do nothing. It's not nearly as heartfelt, but at least I feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. I we I we, I used to handwrite <laughs> each one of them, but having a as Julia knows, having you know her 16 children compared yeah. to my my half a child, it's really difficult to do with kids around. My Christmas card list is way too long for me to handwrite. I'm still going to have to handwrite all the addresses because I didn't want to have to pay extra for the envelopes. But we send out 89 Christmas cards every year. So. I don't even know 89 people. I think we're probably pretty close. Yeah. Good grief. Seriously? And about half of those are going to Canada, England, and Australia. So postage sucks. But oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the e-cards just aren't the same. No, no, they're not. How do you guys display your Christmas cards at home? We have a patio door over there, and we just kind of tape them around the door. Cool. We tape we them to our fridge. Nice. We put a, we, uh, we have a little uh, hanging system that we do around doorways. Oh, cool. Aww. Do you get like so many cards? We get quite a few. Mm, I've noticed, I, I notice fewer people do them, though, it seems. Fewer people definitely do them. Makes me sad. So that's why I'm determined that we have to keep doing them. You um, guys definitely keep doing them. And I'm going <laughs> to sit back and not do them anymore. Or not do them at all still. <laughs> Except for our patrons who pledged the $3 to get a Christmas card from the show. Okay, so you know what's so funny is I was thinking about that while I was driving to work this week because I have an hour and 45 commute to work now for listeners who don't know. Um, and I was thinking about how I really want to start writing Christmas cards to fans because that would be like so stinking fun because I love writing notes. So get me addresses. Of people who Patreon, and I will I will write some letters. And more people pledge to our Patreon, so Julia has more letters to write. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this week's movie, which is Tim Burton's 1992 Christmas question mark film, Batman Returns. So, Julia, how about a plot synopsis? Sure. Gotham City faces two monstrous criminal menaces the bizarre sinister penguin and the slinky mysterious Catwoman. Can Batman battle two formidable foes at once? Especially when one wants to be mayor and the other is romantically attracted to Gotham's hero? Not the best synopsis, but I'll admit I just pulled it from the back of the DVD box. So whoever (laughs) Warner Brothers paid to write that should have paid one of us. And it's on me for not writing a better one. So sorry about that. Before we get to our histories, though, for anybody who's been living under a rock and doesn't know who Batman is, basically, (laughs) basically, in essence, Batman is a billionaire named Bruce Wayne, who every night puts on this monstrous bat-like costume and goes out and fights crime in Gotham City because he saw his parents get gunned down in an alleyway when he was eight years old and was so traumatized by the incident, he kind of made a vow to them and himself that nobody in Gotham would ever have to suffer the same thing he did as a child. I feel pretty confident saying anybody listening to a pop culture podcast has to at least have a cursory knowledge of Batman, even though he is the greatest superhero of all the superheroes. Full stop. Of course, stop, then you'd get period. into... 
<laughs> then you get into which Batman do people, you know, think of when they think of Batman. Because now you have Lego Batman, you have show Batman, you have, I mean, there's lots of different Batmans. Batman. Most of them, uh, except, well, I have to talk about except uh, Val Kilmer all have their merits. I, w- I would agree with that. Wow, this, is, this episode is off to a stellar start, apparently, to get Anthony and I to agree on everything. We just have to talk DC Comics. <laughs> Speaking of, Tom, I can't wait to discuss Justice League with you whenever you get around to seeing it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to. Is it out already? By the time this episode drops, it's it out. Be. Okay, so you have not seen it yet because it hasn't come out yet. So Friday. Let's start off, as we always do, with Julia's favorite part of every episode, going into our histories of this film. But um, I don't want to just go over our histories of this movie specifically, but our histories with the character of Batman himself. So Julia, why don't you start us off? So, well, my history with Batman really is my history with Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, I'm always, I've always been a bigger Marvel fan than I am a DC Comics fan. So I know a little booing music in the background, I'm sure is going to pop up on the episode. But um, I, uh, <laughs> I don't remember Batman prior to Michael Keaton's first Batman movie with the Joker. And I really enjoyed that movie. And I've since enjoyed Batman very much. Um, so I actually saw this movie in the movie theaters with my brother, who probably has a longer history with Batman than I do. And um, yeah, I was 10. And I loved this movie. Very few movies I saw at this young-ish age do I remember vividly now. And and this is one of them. And I think a lot of it has to do with Tim Burton. So uh, for me, I grew up loving Batman. Um, before I was into comics, I had uh, really, really uh, enjoyed Batman and the Incredible Hulk. I had my Incredible Hulk water toy that would suck in water. Like you'd squeeze him, he'd suck in water and you could shoot it out that I used in the bathtub all the time as a little kid. But Batman was always my favorite. Um, I, I loved everything to do with Batman growing up. I watched the, uh, my first experience encounter with Batman was watching the, uh, the cartoon series, The Adventures of Batman from, oh God, those are from the 60s or 70s. I saw those when I was really young. And then of course I saw the Michael Keaton Batman movies. So I always loved my, I still love Michael Keaton as Batman. He's a little, uh, for, for what for what DC is doing now, he's, he's an unconventional Batman, but he did a great job with it. And Adam West, I grew up watching Adam West as well as Batman. Um, I still have a very, that, I, I love everything Adam West does simply because of Batman. Uh, in this film, I saw as a kid on VHS and um, I remember loving everything about it. Um, I was 10 years old and I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was so pretty and um, Danny DeVito still, even when I watch it this week, Danny DeVito gives me the creeps. As the, uh, he's just creepy as the penguin. The penguin mm-hmm. is such a, which is not something I got uh, out of any of the, con- okay, we'll talk about that later. I'm getting, I'm getting diverted, but yeah, I still love this movie. And Anthony, I'm, I'm sure you're, this was made after you were born, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been into Batman as long as I can remember. The first Michael Keaton movie came out the year I was born. So it was like the height of Batmania. And there are literally pictures of me, like only a few months old in like the Batman onesies and everything. So <laughs> I've been like indoctrinated into the Batman mythos very young. Yeah, I've never looked back. He's my favorite superhero. I watched the... Um, Adam West cartoon, uh, not cartoons, the Adam West 60s TV show growing up. I still love that show. I own the 
Blu-ray box set that came out a few years ago. That came with the little Hot Toys Batmobile, which is awesome. <laughs> and I grew up on the 90s Batman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. which is still probably one of my favorite depictions of Batman ever, just because of the benefit of long-form storytelling. Me too. As far as the movies go, I think... I don't know if I saw Batman Returns before Batman 89. I always tend to remember Batman Returns more than Batman 89 and I've always had a strong attraction to this movie I love this movie I still love this movie and I still think it's my third favorite Batman movie ever after The Dark Knight and Batman Begins it's so great let's just get into the movie because I really want to talk about it in full Wait, which ones did you say were your favorite? You like The Dark Knight and Batman Begins? Ba- yeah, although I think I might actually like Batman Begins slightly more than The Dark Knight. Mm. I can agree with that as well. Actually, just right off the bat, which is your favorite Batman movie, both of you, out of all the Batman movies? Batman and who- Begins. Good choice, Tom. What about you, Julia? I like, um, which one was the one with Bane? The Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight. Yep. I like Dark Knight Rises. And who is your favorite Batman? Michael Keaton. I have an un- He's my favorite of favorites. I don't think I'm going to have a, um, a consensus here, but I really like uh, Ben Affleck as Batman. Tom, me and you are going to get along so well this episode. Did you too? Ben Affleck's my favorite Batman. Um, I like is not- he really? In live action, yeah. Me too. Interesting. Not just because I like uh, uh, Ben a- the way Ben Affleck acts um, in that movie, which I don't. I I did not like Batman vs Superman in general. The the, the storyline and the 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 writing was weak, um, which I said I think says a lot about Ben Affleck. The fact that he could pull this off so well, but I like the idea of this this aging hero and the way he played that off. Like that, he wasn't. He's not Batman in his prime, which like Batman Noel, which we're going to discuss soon too. Um, I'm just drawn to these these um, disillusioned. Well, I don't even want to say disillusioned. They are. I mean, they're coming to grips with their. It, there's an element of coming to grips with their own mortality and their limitations that a young Batman never had. I really I have like. not seen Ben Affleck as Batman. Because I've not seen Batman versus Superman. It's worth yeah. a watch. Like I said, yeah. as a whole, I don't like the movie, but Ben Affleck was so good in that. And that was me going into it thinking Ben Affleck is not Batman. I had no... Oh, okay. When, when, ben, when ben Affleck was cast, I was legitimately angry over it. And that's why I came away surprised that how much I loved him in the role. And for the record, I loved Jeremy Irons as Alfred as well. Oh! You can't go wrong with Jeremy Irons. That's just hands down. Cannot go wrong with Jeremy Irons. But Michael Keaton as Batman. Tim Burton's Batman Returns. So this movie came out in 1992, directed by Tim Burton. It was written by Daniel Waters, and, and the music was done by... The incomparable Danny Elfman. Starting off with the music, I just want to say it's still my favorite Batman theme. His theme for Batman Mm -hmm. in these two films is still the most iconic Batman music. When I think of Batman, that's the one I think of. I would definitely agree with the iconic part, for sure. Yep. Um, I can't say it's it's what I think of first. The, the first music I think of with Batman is always going to be the from the uh, '70s shows with uh, Adam West and his very <laughs> the Dana Nana Nana Batman. Yeah, that's your favorite one. <laughs> no, it's not my favorite. It's the one I. It's well, one that's I go the iconic. Yeah, that's yeah. But, but this one, as far as uh, a modern, is definitely the, 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 my favorite. And I'm so glad Danny Elfman is using this music again for Justice League, for Batman. I'm oh, is he, scoring, is he scoring Justice League? Yeah, I downloaded it. Did he score the... Batman versus Superman? No, no. 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 Jo- okay. Joss Whedon came on for Justice League and hired him. Okay. Right. And I downloaded the soundtrack the other day, and it was amazing to hear the 89 yeah. Batman theme and the John Williams Superman theme. 
remixed for oh. the audience. Well, Joss, Joss Wheaton is going to, I mean, if, if he's touching anything superhero related, you know it's going to be done with reverence and awe. So even though I haven't seen it, I have no doubt it's going to be an amazing movie and blow the, the, the modern Marvel movies out of the water. I really have no doubt. That's not hard to do. Come at me. Uh, have you seen <laughs> Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, yeah, I did. I've only heard you good data. It's fantastic. It's in the it's, bottom it's tier not. of Marvel films. It's not, what does that mean? Whoa. Meaning, meaning Ron Tomatoes scored it the best Marvel film ever, and I had really high expectations going in, and I'm like, I walked out like, eh, I liked it. If I was like, oh, there I are like, completely satisfied. how many Marvel films have there been? 17, and I would say it's easily in the bottom 10. I don't know. It's a new take. It's a new spin. It had a good villain. I'll give it that. So I'm curious, as an aside, I'm curious, what what modern Marvel movies have you liked more? I like all the Marvel films, honestly. But the ones that are probably in my top tier, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, the first Iron Man, Captain America Civil War, the first Avengers. I'd even put like Doctor Strange up there. Doctor Strange is one of my, is, is a really unspoken classic People and i'd and i'd say ant-man is really underrated too i haven't seen ant-man but the thor well it may be my bias toward the character because i'm not a big thor fan but his three movies honestly would be in my bottom five marvel films see i love thor i love I'm- chris hemsworth as thor but i don't like the films themselves so have you seen what we do in the shadows yes i love that movie tom have you seen it no you need to watch okay it. it's great you must sequel- watch that movie a sequel was just greenlit by the way oh i know about the werewolves i'm super excited about that yeah. um so if you like that movie upon watching, you will greatly enjoy this one. And it is a totally different Thor. Like, was not expecting a Thor like this. Yeah. Was sitting in the movie thinking, is this a Thor movie? But it was very excited by that prospect. Hmm. I, I loved it. Tom, if you like your superheroes being turned into flat out comedies, you'll like this movie. The you'll comedy the movie. comedy all landed for me, but a movie dealing about the end of times, which Ragnarok is, the right. end of Asgard, should not have been that funny. Um, I loved it. Oh, that was perfect. And anything I, that makes my kids come home and start YouTubing the immigrant song and going, who is Led Zeppelin? Makes me want to <laughs> just throw my fists in the air and, and triumph. It tried too hard to emulate Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm surprised that you like Guardians so much and you didn't like this because that's what it felt like to me too, was be, Guardians be, set a new precedent where you can have humor interjected into the superhero lore and <coughs> do it successfully. So I'm surprised Gar- you didn't like it as much. Guardians established its own tone, and I feel like this is just a cheap knockoff trying to imitate that. Well, that's because it has two movies preceding it. Well, no, and that's my other problem, too. So you take the Iron Man trilogy and the Captain America trilogy, and they feel like complete trilogies, and all the movies kind of go together, whereas this movie does not like feel like it the end of the story started in the first two Thor movies. So that was my other big problem. Two least favorite Avengers. My two least favorite Marvel characters are Captain America and Iron Man. Wow, they're so I different. I know. So I write them. Off, I don't. Honestly. I don't like Iron Man. I don't like the, the character Iron Man, but I did really like the first Iron Man movie. Yeah, Iron Man is kind of like the Batman of the Marvel universe. So, Bat. Speaking of Batman, <laughs> sorry. So I just sorry. have to say, as far there no, there is not a single superhero movie that is ever going to do humor nearly as well as Deadpool. I'd agree well, with that. <laughs> part of what they're trying to do too is the success of Deadpool. With the Which one. is not one that you want your kids to go watch and come home and no. YouTube anything they hear in that movie. <laughs> no. 
Uh, funny story about that. So my grandmother lives with my parents <laughs> and, you know, she's like 85 years old, doesn't know how to work the DVR or whatever. So she's trying to DVR all her Hallmark Christmas movies. So Aww. she, she, she uh, you know, asked my dad to come in and help her. So he goes to her DVR and he's like, mom, why did you DVR Deadpool seven times? <laughs> <laughs> Just really liked it, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Batman Returns. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Batman Returns is often considered the film that started, um, that was the beginning of the end of the Batman franchise until Nolan came back and saved it. Because this movie was considered very dark and twisted upon its release that advertisers like McDonald's were really uncomfortable because parents are complaining about the toys and WB essentially got rid of Tim Burton after this film because it underperformed at the box office and they thought he made it too dark. So that's why Batman Forever is just an enormous shift to the light, campy humor, humorous <laughs> side. So I find it interesting that you were both 10 when you saw it so you were yep. pretty young kids mm-hmm. and you both liked it so like i was terrified by certain parts of it but yeah i really liked it i loved it i still do i batman I, batman will always be a dark character for me i mean yeah he should um, be i don't really know if that I, I don't know if my my opinion is is shifted from meeting from reading frank miller but i read frank miller's batman um, it's, he's my, my favorite Batman writer as probably every other kid from the nineties. But I mean, you don't go much darker than Frank Miller. So anything, so for me, Batman is a dark character. I mean, and, and you, if you, if you actually think about what he's done, so this kid sees his parents get murdered and he goes crazy spending billions of dollars to become this near the perfect human specimen. He pushes himself as far as humans can go well, intellectually goes, and physically. But he even goes past that because of all the, the, the extra human things he builds to make himself even give himself an even bigger advantage. That's not something a normal sane human being does. There's some underlying deep-seated mental health issues that uh, Frank Miller highlighted that I think give Batman a dark tone. And I think that's something Tim Burton did with his two Batman movies as well. He did. He, he kind of hit you over the head with it with some of the dialogue, but the Joker in the first one and the Penguin and Catwoman in this one both oh. kind of reiterate to Batman at different times, you know, you're like us. Especially... Yeah. And if you want to talk dark, I mean, it doesn't get much darker than Dan DeVito as the Penguin. I mean, that was... Well, yeah. Well, one of the things I liked is they they drew, right from the beginning of this film, a really great parallel between Batman and the Penguin. Like, Batman was this rich guy, loved by his... Rich little boy, loved by his parents. Grew up loved. And even after his parents died, uh, Alfred, his butler, raised him like his own son. Whereas then on the other side of Gotham, you literally see Oswald Cobblepot as a baby, who I guess had some physical deformities as a child. My goodness. <laughs> he did he he did have some physical deformities as a child and his parents literally put him in a basket and threw him into the river in the hopes they would drown him that's really dark yeah so but, but before we dive into like specific characters the, i want to talk about one of the complaints about this film that a lot of hardcore batman fanboys have so i want to see if like you agree with this tom a lot mm-hmm. of people say this is not a batman film it's a Tim Burton film, and he just happens to use the Batman characters. Do you agree with that? 
No. No, I don't either. Not at all. I mean, he definitely put his own kind of... Uh, he definitely made the film his own, but he, I think he was still pretty faithful to the Batman mythos. I do too, but that's what makes Tim Burton such a, such a genius, in my opinion. It's the fact that you can watch something and you know it's Tim Burton, no matter what it is. <clears throat> and he can stay true, to, stay true to the story unless you're looking at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, don't get me started on that film. of that movie. <laughs> oh, that movie makes me angry. Did you notice there were a lot of, and I think it was probably because they were shooting at the same time, there were a lot of designs in this film that were very similar to certain aspects of The Nightmare Before Christmas? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did pick up on that more, obviously, since we've got that so fresh on our main, on our brain. But, like, the overall design of this film in general, it's, like, hauntingly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is. So this movie came out in 92, and... Uh, it was either the year after or maybe up to two years after um, Astro World, which was a Six Flags park in Houston, Texas. Um, my brother and I had season passes. So every summer we would be there just regularly. And they opened up a Batman ride that was just after this movie came out. So the whole wait was themed to specifically this movie. And I remember that being like one of the very coolest waits for a movie that I had ever seen at Astroworld. For a ride, you mean? Yeah, for a ride. Because that was, so Disney does that with all of their stuff, right? But Six Flags Mm -hmm. is kind of hit and miss on wait. Some of the wait lines are pretty boring, but they were one of the very first ones at that particular park that really made it interesting. And so watching this movie again made me think of that ride. And I cannot watch this movie and not think of that ride now. So I love the look of this movie. I do too. If I had one complaint about the look though, it kind of felt like a matchbox city (laughs) a little bit. Like it never felt very popular like even the scenes that really should have felt populated like the christmas tree lighting and mm-hmm. it always just felt like they had a handful of people everywhere but uh it never felt like mm-hmm. a inhabited city but it's just one of my little complaints they were outnumbered by penguins what three to one so there i was a ton okay. of penguins at the end like, and, I was, all penguins <laughs> and i was good i was confused about that so there were penguins living in the sewers when he was dumped into the sewer at the beginning how did they get there how do they survive? Yeah. Why ask why? They're not like alligators. You have flipping penguins with rockets on their backs and little helmets. Why are we complaining about this? <laughs> <laughs> I read this interesting way to watch this film online and I tried it and it's super like creepy. If you put your TV settings on black and white hmm. and turn off sound, just have closed captioning, but play the full Batman Returns score like on YouTube while you're watching it, it turns into this really like kind of creepy postmodern gothic-y type experience. Like it's really worth it. Like Danny DeVito in particular looks like one of those old, like in black and white, like creepy monsters from like- Like Mephistopheles? Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I definitely recommend doing that. And for those of you don't who don't like this movie, like you should try it like that. It might give you a different appreciation for this film in a different way. Or nightmares. Or nightmares. That's also very possible. <laughs> because Danny DeVito as a penguin kind of gives you nightmares in color with sound as it is. So let's jump straight into the cast of this film and talk about the characters. So you have Michael Keaton playing Bruce Wayne and Batman. You have Danny DeVito playing Oswald Cobblepot slash the Penguin. You have Michelle Pfeiffer, who is ageless. She looks the same today as she did back then. Playing Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. 
you have Christopher Walken playing Max Shrek, and you have Michael Gow and Pat Hingle playing Alfred and Commissioner Gordon, respectively. It's a pretty great cast, especially our main three characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Although Michael Keaton is more successful to me as Batman than he is as Bruce Wayne. Boardroom Bruce Wayne. I think he's a good playboy or, you know, him and Selena Kyle playing back and forth Bruce Wayne. I always found him very charming, but he is not a boardroom Bruce Wayne. No. For me, he fails. He's a little too eccentric for Bruce Wayne. Like, I kind of feel Mm -hmm. like he would almost be your first suspect, the way he plays Bruce Wayne, as to who Batman is. Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of Bruce Wayne, I think Christian Bale <laughs> nailed Bruce Wayne. Yes. I hated the growling. Well, Bruce Wayne, not Batman, right? Oh, he yeah, yeah. He doesn't growl yeah. when he's yeah. Bruce. No, he doesn't. He just ba- growls at Batman. No, he did. He nailed it. As He nailed Bruce Wayne for sure. And But Michael Keaton is still, as Batman, he's one of the best Batman. Like, I love him. I even love the way he has to turn his whole body to look around because <laughs> he can't move that neck. There's something so char. <laughs> There's something charming about it. And like, he's very, um, there's this, that scene toward the beginning when the circus gang hops out of all the gifts at the tree mm-hmm. and start attacking the town. When he pulls up in the Batmobile and just hops out and he's calmly walking down the street and people are lunging at him and he's not even looking as he's throwing punches. Like, that's, that's Batman to me. Like, just calm and cool and collected. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, And Michael Keaton actually took out a lot of Batman's dialogue in this film because he got the script and he went to Tim Burton and says, Batman wouldn't talk this much. So you should ha- just have me standing there and not responding. Nice. So, I, I like it. Yeah. I didn't know that. I grew up. I mean, this was, this was my first um, Batman major picture. Well, he was my first Batman to see in a, in a major, um, major motion picture. And, uh, I'll always have a good a place in my heart for Michael Keaton as Batman. He did a great job. Um, I do like the the how stern and and firm he is as a Batman. That's not really I didn't that that I didn't see when I saw you know uh, Adam West for example. Just wasn't as as stern. Um, he was more command. He's also as Batman. He's very commanding and demands. I mean, he, he commends respect. You know what I mean. And I still think he has the most iconic Batmobile out of all the Batman. Without a doubt. Like, that is the Batmobile. I joke with Sarah all the time. If I won lottery and I was going to have one extraneous purchase, I would buy a street legal version of that Batmobile, which they do make and sell. Still? Still. You can have them built. Wow. Wow. Do you guys watch Gotham? I think I've asked you before, but I don't remember the answer. Do you guys watch Gotham? Not regularly. Okay, I love it. The girl who plays Selena Kyle, Carmen, uh, Carmen by Condova, looks like a young Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, yeah, she does. she does. It is does. amazing. So mm-hmm. I think we see something there. We've had um, Halle Berry. Don't even speak those words. Halle Berry did not pull it off, but Michelle Pfeiffer did. Yes. When did Halle Perry, Berry play Catwoman? There was no Halle Berry Catwoman movie. What are you talking no, about, we're Tom? skipping right over that part. <laughs> We've burned is, every copy of that movie, and it that is, is not gone. part of our That is not part of our canon. canon. Um, but speaking of Gotham, did you know that Paul Rubens reprised his role as the Penguin's father on that show? He was the Penguin's father in this film. I did not catch that. That's cool. Which is a good segue into talking about Danny DeVito as the Penguin. This he, performance? Oh, my gosh. I just... Yeah. I can't even. What was all the goo constantly coming out of his mouth? What was that what was that supposed to be? I don't know. But nope. it, it was disturbing. It was a great effect. <laughs> yeah, it added it was to disturbing. the whole 
the penguin is the character that Tim Burton probably took the most liberty with because I'm pretty sure there's no interpretation of the penguin quite like this one. Usually he's just a stocky, regular looking guy with kind of a long nose who, uh, you know, is kind of an elite rich guy who owns a nightclub mob boss type guy not a half bird man living in the sewers but it worked for me in this film totally worked for me he gosh the way he breathes danny devito playing the the way he's just constantly got that labored breathing and it's just disgusting like everything about him is just vile Yes. How and you know how constantly horny he is was disgusting. So I did not His, pick up on that until watching it this time. Mm-hmm. So I probably have not seen this movie in ten years. Mm-hmm. I did not pick up that pick up on that stuff when I was ten. But oh, there were there were there were things, there were quotes he had that as a kid I did I obviously missed. Yeah, and I don't know how some of them are. Some of them are just blatantly. Yeah, I mean the the. <laughs> The double entendre of certain words for a cat that he uses when referring to a catwoman. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. How did we miss that as kids? We weren't we weren't jaded. I guess not. Every decision though Danny oh. DeVito made as a character was perfect. He almost said pervert. <laughs> <laughs> was perverted and perfect. Yeah, I mean he really was just And I feel he, like he was perfectly vile. And I feel like to have the penguin as a main villain in a Batman movie is hard to do because like he's a better secondary villain in my mind because he's not like one of these big muscular or like lean psychotic guys who can go toe to toe with Batman. Mm-hmm. But somehow Danny DeFito pulled it off. He did, but I agree he is no uh he, he is no Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Mm-mm. See, and that's why I think I must have seen this movie before Batman 89, because I do not have the attachment to Jack Nicholson's Joker that a lot of people do. I never did. I mean, he's great in the role, but I just never had that attachment. Whereas my attachment to Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer, like mm-hmm. I will defend them always. They'll always be Penguin and the Catwoman to me. Mm-hmm. So his plot to run for mayor is a plot ripped right from the 1960s Adam West Batman show. And they even oh, use similar yep. poster. They On his campaign posters, they use the design of Burgess Meredith as the penguin of the show. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. And then we have Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And she, I think she was one of my first uh, crushes as a child. She is divine as Catwoman. She's <laughs> she divine is. as Selena Kyle. And she's divine as Catwoman. I mean, she just like, there will be no other Catwoman for me. And she's divine as the two versions of Selena Kyle. The meek one before she yes. became psychotic. Then the psychotic, like, dangerous yeah. one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she's totally oh. believable in, in, in all of those roles. Yep. I loved her and I didn't think there would be another Catwoman that would... Um, I loved her and I didn't think there would be another actress who could capture the essence of Catwoman. <laughs> Like she did until Gotham, and and we see a young a young Michelle Pfeiffer in the making. Sorry, I'm gonna go back, keep going back to that because I think that out of all the casting of the the new show Gotham, the casting of Selena Kyle is by far the best. How do you feel about her origin in this film, though? That she kind of fell out a window and cats licked her back to life and gave her like nine lives. Because normally in the comics, she's either like a hooker or a stripper or just a downtrodden like uh, a vagabond. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the origin story does not do it for me. No, but I did like the costume. Not just because she <laughs> but, looked great in it. I liked how she 
it looked like she stitched it together herself. It literally had all the stitches. It looked like homemade. It did. Yeah. But the origin story for her is a, a parallel to the origin story of Danny DeVito or of the penguin in this. The penguins took him in and, and helped him become who he was when he had nobody else. The cat saved her. It's a little a little too literal, really, in my opinion, on both fronts. But it makes for good. It make, it, if you think it out, it's, it's obnoxious, but it's fun to watch. I thought so. that whole part was greatly entertaining. All of her interactions with the cats and all of that. And, uh, the, and the, again, I don't have the DC history that y'all have. And honestly, I couldn't tell you the origin story of Catwoman as far as comics go. But I enjoyed this. The scene where she goes home after falling through that window... And like listens to her phone messages, chugs a thing of milk, and just starts yeah. breaking every like that was insanely yes. insane. <laughs> yeah, so, incredible acting on her part. It was, not she just, just went that, nuts. but just yeah, the staging from her going through those exact same movements pre-death, Selena Kyle, and then as post-death, Selena, she did every single thing the same, but just made those slight quirks. Yeah, just masterful just love that entire scene and it as is a, a long scene oh yeah as a child it traumatized me when she starts shoving the stuffed animals down the garbage disposal oh that's <laughs> funny <laughs> it really did <laughs> did you know that the wb had to <laughs> keep sending replacement catwoman posters to bus stops and movie theaters because teenage boys kept stealing them <laughs> yeah Not surprised and did you know she was air, like uh, they sucked the air of that costume to get it really tight so she could only do it for like a few minutes at a time before they had to uh, undo oh my it for her? Yeah. Let her breathe. Wow. Yeah. It worked. She looked good. And she was not the first choice for Catwoman. So. Who was? Annette Benning was originally really? cast as Catwoman but became pregnant and was replaced with Pfeiffer. Annette Talk about Benning. luck. I can't picture that. Do you know who the producers wanted um, to play Max? Who? who? David Bowie. Christopher Walken was not their ideal. Christopher Walken brought an insane creepiness to the role of Max. Yeah. Christopher Walken but, brings an insanely creepy role into everything that he does. Everything. But, but yes, before, we, right. <laughs> before we really get to Max, I just wanted to say real quick, because you brought up like uh, Tom, the dual identities, like how Penguin and the Catwoman paralleled each other. Yeah. Like Burton specifically had more control over this film because the first one was such a success. And he chose the Penguin and Catwoman because he liked the idea of pitting this guy with a dual identity and dressed up as a bat against two other insane in the head people who dressed up as animals. He just liked dealing with those uh, split personalities between all three of them. And I mean, it's a good choice. Yeah. I think Catwoman steals every single scene she's in. I love the scenes between her and Batman. I do too. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You know, hearing that makes it a lot more sense why they were originally, why they originally had Robin in this too. Having a second, uh, yeah. Having a... um, Marlon Wayans. I can't picture it. Wait, what? Marlon Wayans. Who was supposed to be Robin. Oh, like it serious? got it got pretty far along too. It wasn't like it was an early edit. I mean, they made it pretty far into pre-production with him in it. Oh, that's tragic. Harvey Dent was supposed to be in it too. Yep, he really? was supposed to be the he was supposed to take the Max Shrek role. Yep, but they they created Max Shrek for this. We obviously we know because of how this film ended up financially that they went a whole different direction after this film and recast it because Michael Keaton didn't want to stay on with Tim Burton without Tim Burton. But do you know? who tried out for Batman and Robin and who they could have had as Batman and Robin in the sequel. Uh-uh. 
no joke, you can look it up. Daniel Day-Lewis tried out for Batman and Batman Forever, and Leonardo DiCaprio tried out for Robin. Could you imagine the movie with Batman <laughs> and Robin as Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio in the roles? So Daniel Day-Lewis is a method actor, so that means he would have had to have been Batman for the entire filming of that movie. He, he, he would have lived in New York fighting crime at night like while there's... <laughs> shooting this film that puts a nice positive spin on this i might like to have seen how that worked out (laughs) wow crazy casting but yeah what did you guys think of the max shrek character which by the way he shares the name of the actor who played nosferatu he does oh interesting i didn't know that i think i'm with tim burton and uh he scares the hell out of me (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay there's that did you read that yeah, yeah. Burton like was terrified of him. Of 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 Chris like not just Max Shrek, but he did he was he said that uh uh Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, he said he scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that scene where he pushes Selena Kyle out the window and he makes it seem like he's joking at first, like he's gonna kill her, and they both just laugh, laugh and off. then he just boom like that. So well done. He mm-hmm. he was really good in the role. He was an idiot in the role, but he was really good. I don't want to jump to quotes, but there is this the one scene that I always I always makes me laugh is the end after they defeated the penguin and Max Shrek is standing with Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne, both half unmasked, and he's like, Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed as Batman? And I'm like what <laughs> and even and even she's like because he is batman moron yeah i think we're gonna need you to do the rest of the episode talking like christopher walken after yes that. please do <laughs> please do talking about about scenes and things that pop up did you guys when you saw there was that scene where uh michelle pfeiffer is behind the the glass and there's like the cat face the cartoon cat face mm-hmm is that where Dead Mouse got his inspiration for his helmet? Because that looks exactly like Dead Mouse. That does look exactly. I don't know if that's where they got. That looked awesome, though. It did. It did. <laughs> was Max Shrek ever in the comics, Tom? Or was he an original character? I know there have been tons of like shady business guys in the comics that Bruce Wayne slash Batman has dealt with, but I don't think Max Shrek was one of them. He did. He was created by Tim Burton, yeah. That's interesting to me. I don't know why, but... I mean, he, he served his role. His scenes with Danny DeVito were really good. When Danny DeVito had kidnapped, kidnapped him at first in the sewer, and the penguin's like, you know, all your trash comes down here, everything you flush. What happened to your business partner? And then he holds up the severed arm and starts waving at him. <laughs> their, their stuff was great. It was great. That scene between Danny DeVito's penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman when she's on the bed in his apartment. I love that whole scene between them because their chemistry is great. Like she's disgusted mm-hmm. by him and he keeps like just hitting on her. That's a real bird in Michelle Pfeiffer's mouth. She put the bird in her <gasps> mouth. No. Held, held it there and then let it out. Yep. That's disgusting and sounds potentially painful. Yeah. Ew. But, uh, what if it went poop? <laughs> Yeah, Tim Burton. Birds are nasty little things too, like as far as bacteria and stuff. Man, yeah, they're ooh. filthy. This was definitely pre uh, pre Asian bird flu. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene though. She puts the bird in her mouth and threatens to eat it, and he like 
holds yeah. his umbrella to the cat's throat <laughs> like he's gonna <laughs> kill it. Yeah. The other scene I really like in this film between the two of them, actually Batman's in it too, is when Batman confronts the penguin for the first time and then Catwoman comes flipping out of the exploding department store. She stops in mm-hmm. front of them and they both just stare at her and she's like, meow. meow. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I really like the initial scene where Max is brought down into the the sewers with the penguin. Yeah, and we we see how creepy Danny DeVito is. But where we get that first taste of Oswald's inferiority complex, he feels the need throughout this entire film to to bring to bring everybody down to his level instead of trying to raise himself up at all or make himself appear to be better than he is. He starts right there with Max. He's like you're just as bad as I am. Same thing he does with Batman and with Catwoman. I mean, everybody is as bad as he is. He's not, he doesn't even see anything redemptive in himself. And I find that is a really interesting note to start off the Penguin with. Catwoman does that too, though, at a few points. Like she becomes, she realizes she's a stronger character. She's a stronger person than people like the Penguin and Shrek. But when her and the Penguin are plotting to take down Batman, she's like, we can't just kill him. We have to turn him into what people hate and what he hates the most, namely us. We have to bring him down to our level and essentially turn him into the villain. Mm-hmm. See, but she was wanting she was wanting to do something to bring him to that point. The the worldview that that the penguin has is they're already at his level. These people like instead of and it's and it's his world it's his view. It's it's this uh he sees everything as so dark and he has no feeling of worth. And instead of trying to again, instead of trying to do something to better himself, he compare he looks at how everybody is just as bad as he is. Which really gives us an interesting insight, and and really that that initial scene again, we it comes up a few other a few times throughout the film, but we see that's how he's operating in everything that he does, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me, and it's interesting the yeah. way they that they set that stage for us right from the get go. Besides the emperor penguins, those are all real penguins. They flew them in from the zoo of London, I think, because they had a bunch, and Tim Burton had to keep the set like thirty degrees or something insane, like so. Basically, everyone on set, minus Danny DeVito, Michael Keaton, and Catwoman, and Michelle Pfeiffer, who are in these heavy costumes, were, like, freezing and had to wear winter coats. Oh, my gosh. How funny. Penguin's ultimate plot to kill all the firstborns in Gotham? It's, like, straight up biblical. (laughs) Biblical. I mean, I could see why advertisers were upset that they were told this is a kids-friendly film, and then, like, they see this movie and they see like they're literally kidnapping babies to drown yeah. in the sewers. As a 10 year old, yeah. I was fine Super with it. Super dark. I mean, it bother me as a 10 year old. It's very Pied Piper-esque, right? He even has the umbrella with all the toys dangling from it to kind of yeah. lure them in. So the two other characters I want to talk about in this film, one is more of a character than the other in this film, are Alfred mm-hmm. and Commissioner Gordon. I love Michael Goff as Alfred. I love him. He was really good. I do he, love this Alfred. I One of the things I love in every Batman iteration is the relationship between Batman and Alfred. Yeah. And uh, even in these films, which, um, I mean, Batman and Batman Returns are good, but even in like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the consistently strong parts are the scenes with Bruce Wayne and Alfred. Yeah. Who's your favorite Alfred? So hard for me because I love Michael Goff. I love Michael Caine. There it is. Michael Caine's my favorite. That's the right answer. (laughs) He's my favorite. But... 
I really him like Jeremy and then Irons too. I don't know what. Again, I haven't seen that one. Did they develop Jeremy Irons's actual relationship, like with Batman in that movie, like they did with Michael Caine? Because that's my favorite with Michael Caine is the struggle that he goes through. You know, being there when when Bruce is not well, and that, worrying about him. And oh, that's my favorite part about Batman Begins. Like him going along with this all, and then he sees yeah. the Batmobile chase on TV. And he has a flip out when he gets home. He's like, the only thing that stopped me from calling the men in white coats was because you said you weren't out for thrill seeking or whatever it was. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not. Well, what do you call that? Damn good television. And like, he gets so <laughs> mad. <laughs> he gets so mad at him. Like, uh, yeah, Michael Caine, definitely my favorite outfit. Michael Caine is mine. I, uh, okay. Mm. You guys are gonna get really tired of hearing about Gotham, but I love it. And they have Sean, uh, uh, Sean Pertwee mm-hmm. is, that is uh, Alfred in that series, and he does a great job. But I think it's a little easier for him because he's working with a young Bruce Wayne. He's working with, mm-hmm. he's dealing with a kid that he just lost his parents. So he's got a, but, but he, he epitomizes Alfred's relationship as well. The, the, two, oh, the two scenes in the Dark Knight trilogy, well, no, there's one in each movie I really like. So in Batman Begins, I really liked when Alfred comes back to the party after Rachel Ghoul like destroyed the house and mm-hmm. it's burning down. And Alfred gets the chance to save Bruce and hits the guy over the head with a golf club and gets Bruce down to the Batcave and then gives him the why do we fall pep talk. Yep. I love that. I, I think that's the- why I love Michael Caine's that that scene is why Michael Caine is is my favorite. I loved in the Dark Knight when he ripped up Rachel's letter or burned it not to show mm-hmm. him, and that in that moment after she died, you know, Alfred's bringing him breakfast, and he's like, "I'll leave you alone." And then Bruce is like, "Alfred," and he just sounds like a little boy in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, did I bring this on her? And Alfred like has to give him the pep talk again. Yeah, and it legit not even gonna lie brought me to tears in the last one when they had their fight and he kicks him out of the house yeah oh that was that yeah, was brutal brutal and then even the end when he thinks he died and he's talking at the grave to bruce's parents like i failed you you know oh anyway but michael goff as <laughs> alfred he was great. He has a real sweetness i think michael yeah. goff's got that sweet alfred like i love at the beginning when he's got that bag full of presents he's shopping and he's whistling yeah like right <laughs> at the beginning and i'm like oh he's so precious i love it well yeah even um when he brings <laughs> when he's kind enough to bring him soup down in the back cave and he's like the soup is cold it's supposed to be cold sir <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Gordon, I that's the worst part of uh-uh, the uh-uh. 80s and yeah, 90s Batman. Terrible. He is terrible. Yeah, oh, like he literally says, thanks for saving the day, Batman. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The so ideal schmaltzy. Yeah. The ideal Commissioner Gordon is supposed to be able to do his job and help Batman. Like this guy is like, quick, Gary turn Oldman. on the bat signal. Gary Oldman's my favorite. Oh, Gary my favorite down. Commissioner. Yep, yep. He's my favorite anything though. So this is not my favorite Batman logo on the on his uh, uh, costume or yeah. on the bat signal. I just don't like it. I like the new sleeker mm. straight lines. Do you do you like the yellow oval though? No. Do you know why he has that though? Well, in the comics, why he has that? When he had the yellow oval briefly in the comics, uh-uh. it's the one bright spot on his uniform, so that people see him in the darkness, aim at that. It's the most armored part of his uniform, so when they shoot, they aim for that. When really, it gives him enough time to. 
it'll no, deflect the bullets. Yeah. Nice. But let's talk overall likes and dislikes and favorite quotes and everything. But there's one scene before we get into that I want to talk about, and that's the first scene Batman and Catwoman meet and fight atop the rooftop. Uh-huh. I love that scene. I just wanted to say mm-hmm. that scene. When <laughs> I love everything about that scene, how she even tricks him. Like, what are you doing? I'm a woman. And like, he has enough like goodness in him to be like, oh no, I'm so sorry to stop. And then she like Fool takes you. advantage of yeah. it. Yeah. And like knocks him down. Yeah. And the whole, the mistletoe quote, what was it? Oh, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. And then I love how that comes back at the end at the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's how they recognize each other. And the acting of that scene at the ball when they realize who each other is and she's practically near tears. Yeah. And she's like, does that mean we have to start fighting now? Like, yeah. I loved that scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really good job of humanizing both of them. Yeah. Which, Absolutely. Which, which a, lot of, a lot of superhero movies don't humanize, especially don't humanize the villain. Marvel. No, you're right. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Did you know mistletoe is the Oklahoma state flower, Anthony? I did not know that. You learned something today. <laughs> I, I, I didn't you. know that either. I lo- <laughs> I lo- really? No, I'm from Texas. I'm not from Oklahoma. Blue yeah, bonnets. You're, you're a Christmas aficionado. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's cool, though. It is. Does it grow easily here? Yeah, it's a wild. It grows in the wild. Oh, I didn't know that. But it's not nearly as cool as Blue Bonnets, I agree with you. What did you guys think of the scene where the penguin takes over the Batmobile and has the literal, like, mall riding along Batmobile he's riding to control it? In the van. The in van's the, in there shaking. In the, yeah. That made me laugh. But, okay, so I thought that was so random. Like, why would he take the time to build this? But, That's exactly uh, what I thought. But like, a lot of thought went into this. That's the only thing left over from a not subplot, but kind of design choice. So this film, apart from one mention of Vicki Vale, isn't even necessarily like a direct sequel to Batman 89. It could stand on its own. But when it was more of a direct sequel, they had, after Batman saved Gotham from the Joker, there's supposed to be these gift shops all over Gotham, like selling Batman merchandise. So he was, that actually was a ride outside of the store that he had taken to uh, do that himself, to take over the... But because that was all cut, yeah, they, it, just, I just, it just looked ridiculous that he uh, <laughs> built this thing to control the Batmobile. <laughs> did you see the Did you see the cut scenes though, like the pictures of it and stuff? Yeah, it looked pretty cool. It does look really cool. Uh, like they were supposed to eighty nine Batman, I think dot com or something. Oh, I love that. That's such a great website for like behind the scenes stuff. Really cool website, especially for these Batman movies. And they, like, yeah, even in the gift shop, like, at the end of Batman 89, the bat wing had exploded, so there were, like, pieces of the bat wing, like, they were yeah. selling these gift shops, yeah. Also, how 90s was it that when Batman and Alfred hijacked the loudspeaker to out the Penguin's plan to Gotham? They even do the, you know, the, <laughs> the what, what is it? The, uh, what's it called? The pickle wicket? Tr- yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. 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 The record scratching, yeah, yeah. Yes. With a CD. <laughs> a CD. <laughs> Which would not do that. But yeah, anytime I saw a CD in this movie, I'm like, boy, that was like cutting edge technology when this thing came out. Mm-hmm. And now like... That not. was really cool jingle bells. <laughs> my, my mother-in-law doesn't understand why we, have, we don't have CDs. Like, she keeps getting CDs for Ellie. And I'm like, we have one CD player in our entire house. <laughs> 
So, so why don't we move on to favorite quotes and likes and dislikes and stuff, and then we'll move on to the two big questions of this movie. Julia, do you want to go first? Yeah. So my first favorite quote is when the penguin. I don't remember who he's who is looking at him and who would be having this reaction. I think it's Shrek. But when he goes, I believe the word you're looking for is ah, <laughs> which made me laugh. What about you, Tom? Um, it's really cheesy, but when <laughs> Selena, I mean, it's just, it, it, I, I like the, I like the lines and the, the insights we get into the, the psyche of the characters. Mm-hmm. And when, so when Selena Kyle says life's a bitch and so am I, mm-hmm. just want right there, we get an idea of who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. So I liked when Alfred and Batman outed the penguin to Gotham and they became aware of his true plans. He was, people started pelting tomatoes and food at him. And the penguin opens his umbrella to like block himself against it. And he's like, why is there always someone who brings eggs and tomatoes to a speech? (laughs) (laughs) I love that part. (laughs) So anytime Catwoman is in this movie, I've already said she completely steals the show for me. I can't take my eyes off of her. She's magnetic, just her personality and all of that. And um, I have always loved it when she falls into that kitty litter <laughs> and in that Michelle Pfeiffer voice saved by kitty litter. And then she looks at her shoulder and she goes like bastard. <laughs> so throughout this entire movie, it cracks me up that she's so clearly a feminist character, right? But that she still gets super ticked when her nail is broken or when her costume is ripped or, you know what I mean? All of that stuff has always made me laugh. Yeah. There were some really cheesy lines, though, too. Okay, I'm going to pick a cheesy one. When Batman says, eat floor, high fiber. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I'm like, yeah, I've got that written down. I'm like, okay, that feels like a 90s movie right there. So cheesy. It was awful. That was absolutely terrible. I, 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 my eyes, they rolled the back of my head for a good 10 minutes after that. <laughs> Ouch. So, so I like the beginning when Batman saves Selina Kyle before she's Batwoman from that clown. He shoots the thing into the back of the, into the wall behind the clown and mm-hmm. pulls it at him and knocks him out. And Selina mm-hmm. thanks him for saving her. And he walks away without another word. And she's like, well, that was very brief. Like all men in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I never got that as a kid when she was implying. <laughs> I have written down here too, that I have saved the quote, the full quote you, you referenced it earlier where Max sees them, everybody half unmasked. It's like, Selena, Selena, Kyle, you're fired. And Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? And she's, because he's Batman, you moron. (laughs) (laughs) So I found a quote I was trying to think of earlier when Batman is researching the penguin on his computer in the Batcave and Alfred comes up. And he's like, why are you determined to prove that this penguin is not what he seems? Must you be the only lonely man-beast in town? (laughs) Oh, also, the Ice Princess it's no wonder she died because beforehand when she's practicing getting ready to light the Christmas tree before the penguin kidnaps her, she's in her dressing room trying to remember what she's supposed to do. And she's like, the tree lights up and then I push the button. No, no, wait, 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 wait. I press the button and then the tree lights up. I'm like, yeah, no kidding lady. Like no wonder you didn't just step down off the ledge at the, on the roof to stop from falling off. I think Catwoman in the store is essential Catwoman, how she's skipping around and she's 
jumping rope on her whip and she's just empowered mm-hmm. by all that she can do now. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, that was all her with the whip. She said she took lessons and classes and like mastered that thing. That's so cool. Oh, before Max Shrek kills her, he's like, what did the curiosity do to the cat? And she's like, I'm not a cat. I'm just an assistant, uh, a secretary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just talking about parallels. I like that Max Shrek actually says to Bruce Wayne in the business meeting about Oswald. He's like, Oswald is Gotham's new golden boy. If his parents didn't try to 86 him, you two would have been friends at prep school, which I liked because it, again, drew that parallel how they could have been very different, like how Penguin could have been different had he had parents who cared about him and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when Catwoman and the Penguin meet in private for the first time, she's like, we need to talk. You see, you and I have something in common. And the penguin's like, sounds familiar. Appetite for destruction, contempt for czars of fashion. Wait, don't tell me. Naked sexual charisma. She's <laughs> <laughs> vile. Ugh. I liked when the uh, when the penguin says, "You gotta admit, I played the stinking city like a heart from hell." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I-, I liked when he's making a speech to the. When people still think he's a good guy and he's like, I was their number one son, but they treated me like number two. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't catch that until you just said it. Honestly, I didn't catch it. (laughs) I like the way the penguin uh, summarizes Selena Kyle when he says, uh, your beauty and the beast in one luscious Christmas gift pack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a really corny part, and I guess it's just Tim Burton's Batman has a proclivity for notes, because he had a note in the first movie, too. So when the penguin is expecting all the children in the sewer, and instead the monkey comes down, and he's like, where are all the children? And the monkey gives him this handwritten note from from Batman that says, Dear Penguin, the children regret they're unable to attend. (laughs) (laughs) Such a corny thing. Uh, you know what I the, speaking of corny where they uh, uh, where I don't remember her name but she tells uh, the penguin our research tells us that voters like fingers <laughs> yeah that image consultant or whatever she is yeah him biting that guy's nose like traumatized oh, oh, me for no, life no no oh that's too much oh yeah, because the guy insults the way he looks or something, and the penguin's like, yes. at least I haven't no- at least I don't have blood gushing from my nose. And he's like, What? And then he just takes a chunk. Oh, oh my gosh, so gross. Oh, and speaking of Batman's cheesy lines, at the very end, when uh, Alfred and Bruce Wayne are there, and he's uh, Alfred says, Well, come what may, Master Bruce, come what may, Merry Christmas, Master Wayne. And he says, Merry Christmas, Alfred, goodwill toward men and women. <laughs> <laughs> So that's actually a good quote to seg into one of the big questions about this film. So this is often appears on lists of non-Christmas Christmas movies to watch around the holiday season. I know it's been on BuzzFeed. It's been on Mashable. Like they all consider it one of those perfect non-Christmas Christmas movies for people to watch around Christmas. So do you guys think this is a Christmas film or just a film set at Christmas time? Because I find it very telling that up to this point, we haven't talked about any of the Christmas elements in the film. I think it's the latter. I think it's a movie set at Christmas time. It's not a Christmas movie. 
Die Hard was an easier one for me. It had more of a Christmas feel throughout the entire thing. And maybe it's just, maybe it's, it's the Tim Burton aspect of it. It just, it didn't have, it had the elements, but the feel wasn't there. I would agree with that because it does. And it even has like the concerning, there even have that big set piece in the middle of the film with the lighting of the Gotham Christmas tree in which that, and that's the moment they frame Batman. Like, so you had the opportunity to make that a little more Christmassy than they did. And they even had a moment like Tim Burton even could have like, insert a little background Christmas music during certain scenes. It didn't have, none of, this, none of the soundtrack was Christmas. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying. He could yeah. have put some of that in. Like even the... Even Christmas ball. and Hollis. Oh, we have a comment <laughs> regarding Christmas and Hollis for later on. But um, even like, he could have done some more of that. Like even the ball at the end, they could have made that like a Christmas, Christmas type music? gala. Yeah, Christmas music at the ball. Agreed. It seems like I, it was an intentional decision to not... He had Christmas elements, but there seems to be an intentional removal of any Christmas music from this film. Yeah, and at the, at the beginning, the whole panning around Gotham City, I thought that felt very Christmassy, where people are ringing the bells and Alfred is walking through with the packages and it's snowing, and you see the Christmas tree for the first time. Like You get the sense like, oh, this is it's Christmas time. I like, think that's because you're from New York. For us, Christmas has a lot cheerier disposition. It's not really as dark. <laughs> <laughs> there are hordes of creepy circus people. <laughs> no, we were, get, we were getting along so along so well. This episode. Anyway, I mean, that that lighting of the tree did did you could tell there was some some influence from Rockefeller Square's Christmas tree lighting, right? On it, it was a pretty underwhelming tree, though. I wrote that down too. I'm like, it was. It could have been more. It was an underwhelming tree, and again, like they could have included more people in this city to make it look like a more inhabited city. They could have, which which Gotham is right. So, So, side note: while we since I mentioned Rockefeller, have you been to the Rockefeller lighting? The lighting itself? Yeah, yeah, I've been. (sighs) Are you jealous? Jealous. Yeah, me too. Guys, one year you guys fly in. We could do a podcast live afterward. That'd be so cool. That would be so fun. Yeah. That would you guys be. would have a place to stay. I really want to come back to New York. I'm trying to I'm trying to finagle it through work. Do it, man. Especially like I'm trying to get it. I was really hoping instead of going to Boston, I was going to go to New York and see because I know all the Christmas stuff was already out. But yeah. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't have more Christmas elements because Batman at Christmas time, my favorite, like first of all, I think in the comics, the TV shows, everything, Gotham always looks best in the snow. When it gets mm-hmm. dark earlier, stays dark later. It just has this gloomy feeling. It but does. The, but the animated series had did a bunch of Christmas episodes. In the 90s, right? In the 90s, yes, yes. which are great. They are. And obviously Batman Noel was at Christmas, but the video game Arkham Origins set on Christmas Eve, like Batman and Christmas work really well together. So mm-hmm. I would love to see a Batman movie set at Christmas that's more overtly christmas themed in the background Mm -hmm. at least so are we in agreement it's more of a movie set at christmas than it is our first movie movie set at christmas yeah so which brings me to our next question does this film in any way (laughs) pass the lioness test no we see change but none of it is related to what christmas means right there's or any of the elements that we like and see at christmas like you know family and but he does say at the end goodwill toward men and women your shoulder must be a real stretch you're making. I want to say it. I want to say it does have a past line of stuff, but I just didn't see one. Mm-mm. I wish it did. 
if there was a moment, it would have been that very stretching moment. At the oh, end. it would have, without a doubt. Okay, so why don't we give our final thoughts on this film and then rank this movie? So I will say um, I'm biased. I carry this nostalgia for it that I don't know that everybody else has. That, that shades my view. I don't know. I'm now much more aware of that after last week's episode um, <laughs> of, of the power that nostalgia may have on our, our sway or, or the sway of our, our view of a movie. But I still love it. It's, it's great. It's got action. It's got... Um, one thing for me about movies, I love character development. And we really... Probably more than any other Batman movie, we see some serious character development of both good and bad characters in this. It won me over. What about you, Julia? Yeah, same here. Um, I, I'm fairly certain a lot of my love for it is nostalgia as well. Again, because I don't have the the comic book in love for Batman that y'all have. And I love this movie. So we should rename it to the Catwoman and other associated characters probably <laughs> because she's my favorite part of this entire movie. Um, it's they intended not like it. They intended to spin her off into her own film. I can see how they would have done that. they shot that scene at the very end when she looks up at the bat signal yep. last right. minute before release to show oh, she's still alive. Minute. Yeah. I, 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 that definitely seemed like a setup for a, a sequel or a yeah. spinoff in this case. Before, before I was I just my... glad to know she was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, she she did have one life left at that point, two lives. She did. She counted them down at the end there. Mm-hmm. Also a great uh, scene. Um, before I get my final thoughts, there was another question I wanted to ask you guys real quick, just about the 90s Batman movies in general. Uh-huh. So a common complaint among not only critics, but even some Batman fans as well is that Batman in these films always seemed to play second billing to his villains, both in like casting and development and screen time and everything. Would you agree with that? In this one, for sure. Oh yeah, totally. Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer are the stars of this one. Michael Keaton is Batman, but no. Well, 34 minutes go by before he is even in this movie. Did you realize that? 34 minutes of movie before Batman makes an appearance. Before Batman or Bruce Wayne or both? Both. Wow, I didn't know that's that. That's awesome yeah. that you timed that. Good timing. I, um, I was surprised. Yeah, I think it was always intentional because even if you look at the credits for all of these movies, so Jack Nicholson was billed before Keaton in the first one. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure at least Danny DeVito was billed before him in this one. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was billed before George Clooney. That's how George Clooney wasn't mm-hmm. a big... Boy, yeah, and uh, Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones are both billed before Val Kilmer, so mm-hmm. I think, and the fact that they got such big names of the time for the villains in all of those movies, mm-hmm. I think they knew that the villains were a large selling point because absolutely, yeah, because if you look at his rogues gallery in the comics, I don't care if Batman's your favorite hero or not, he has the best comic book villains of any hero. They're Absolutely, the most, yeah. They're the most iconic. Like, even if you're not familiar, like a comic book nerd, you could mm-hmm. probably, like, random people on the street would probably know of the Joker or the Penguin or mm-hmm. his main foes mm-hmm. without knowing anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally the best villains. So, my final loss of this film, I think, like, you guys, nostalgia probably plays a part, as does my love of Batman. It's, um, Interesting looking back on it now, how 
this is considered so dark that the WB wanted to move in a lighter direction because compared to the Dark Knight trilogy and Batman vs. Superman, it doesn't seem very dark at all. Like, it still has dark elements, but I mean, it's still very cartoony compared to those mm. films. And like more like, you know, simulated, staged fight scenes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting in retrospect that this was the one deemed so dark. WB had to change course and almost destroy the franchise. But um, yeah, I love this film. And even though it's only a movie set at Christmas, I do make an effort to watch it every year during Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Just to change it up a little bit from the constant uh, gooey, warm feelings of every other actual Christmas movie. So yeah, I love this film. So... Why don't we rank this movie? So here's where I have a, a, an issue ranking it. Am I ranking this as a movie or as a Christmas movie? Because those are going to be two entirely different rankings. So what we've done is we've ranked all these other movies as Christmas movies. So I'm going to have to rank this as not a Christmas movie. And in the Christmas lineup, and as much as it hurts me because I do love the movie, but as far as for a Christmas movie, I'm going to have to give it a four. That's fair. What about you, Julia? No, I agree with four. That was what I was going to go for too. Which feels... Again, let me just express low for this movie and how much I love it, but accurate given the Christmas climate. The rest if, of this, movies are if this were not for a Christmas movie, it would be at, an, at about a nine and a quarter for me. That's how much I love this film. I'm going to give it a six and I'll explain why. Because I gave Die Hard a seven, seven and a half, something like that. And if you took out the Christmas music, I feel like set in LA with just the lights and the trees in the background, it wouldn't feel as Christmassy. So I give the point discrepancy between the two. Die Hard had the music and that pushed it over the edge for me. That's fair. Yeah. So that gives us an average rating of 4.667. This comes in at number seven. You, you should be happy to know it puts it above Arthur Christmas. That's all he cares about. That is That's all it. I care about. And now above One Magic Christmas as well. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, but if this fell below that, I would have been annoyed. Because I would recommend this as a Christmas movie over One Magic Christmas. Sorry. Oh, but yeah, me too. Any day and twice on Sunday, for sure. <laughs> I am so, sad to know that as I look at this list, it's not going to stay in our top ten for long, even though it is a really good movie. But So we did get some listener feedback this week, which we always appreciate. So... Tom, do you want to handle? Do you want to go first and read the uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram comments you've got? I do. I feel really glad and relieved hearing from Stacy McKenzie, who recommended One Magic Christmas. Me too. Me three. <laughs> she has been a, a faithful listener for a long time, and she's the she's the person who recommended that film to us. She said she really wanted to hear us do it. Um, and as you may recall from if you didn't hear last week yet, um, we did not give it the most favorable of uh, treatment. But Stacy said, haha, y'all are so funny. I was cracking up at my desk this morning. I will always love this movie, but I'm going to watch it again with your comments in mind. When you do watch it again, Stacy, let us know what you, if our comments changed anything for you at all. Like, oh, I you, hope we didn't ruin it for her. No, I hope, yeah, we, I don't I, but I do want to just see if it like, if she now, if she notices things now that she didn't. But Stacy, seriously, when I saw you commented, I got like really nervous for a second before I checked what you actually said. <laughs> And then um, on Twitter, we heard from uh, Charlene at Forever Char. And she said on Batman Returns, even though there are a lot of Christmas elements in the movie, I never saw it as a Christmas movie. For me, it is a movie set at Christmas time. We agree. 
And she said, I like this movie. And watching it as a parent, some of the scenes are so raunchy, I wanted to cover my son's eyes. Also, Michael Keaton is probably my favorite Batman. Back when Batman's voice was still normal. Hashtag, this is my Batman. <laughs> this is my Batman. I like it. Uh, in terms of raunchy, by the way, uh, I'm just going to say one thing without that I won't have to bleep out, but just think about it. French flipper trick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, again, the first time I noticed what he said and. Oh. oh <laughs> so nasty. It is. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, and I, when I started watching this, I didn't even think that'd be an issue because I saw it as a kid. Charlene also sent us her favorite quote, which is the, but a kiss can be deadlier if you mean it. Then we asked people about their favorite Christmas commercials and um, Forever Char sent us one of hers from Pittsburgh that I'd never heard of. It's called Eaton Park Christmas Star Commercial. I had never heard of that before this. And she agreed, she and I have the same one and that's the uh, handbell kisses one, which I loved. Um, The Eaton Park Christmas Commercial, I never heard of either, but I watched it after Char posted it. It's cute. It is cute. It's really cute. I will still say, I think one of the best things I learned about, about Christmas commercials was a few years ago when somebody told me about how important they are in British culture, the British pop culture. Um, and every year I get excited and wait for, for a, a listicle with all of the top British commercials from groups like uh, John Lewis, who does amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then we had a, an interaction on the Instagram. Mid-level movie reviews said they love Batman Returns. They first saw Batman in theaters when he or she was six and it will always hold a special place for that awesome so we also got some had some reddit interaction this week julia do you want to go do that real quick yeah so regarding us asking for feedback on if anybody had seen um one magic christmas or what they thought of that episode we heard from a few people um that revit guy said that he'd never heard of this movie before we mentioned it so he thought he ought to watch it um, so he didn't miss out. We are he said, so oh sorry. <laughs> he said, oh boy, you guys hit the nail on the head regarding the phoned-in performance. I've never seen such a lack of emotion in a movie when so many bad things happen. And that weird shower scene where Mary Steenburgen <laughs> was singing was odd too. I'm so glad she went on to star in movies I know and love for her, um, Elf and Step Brothers, um, because she's so much more likable in those films. Agree. Agreed. And I have 100%. to remind everybody about her creepy role in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> oh, yes, you're, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're welcome, guys. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> so Disco54 also commented regarding One Magic Christmas. Um, we moved house this week, so I didn't have time to watch this week's film. No bother. I thought the cheery optimism of Tis the Podcast will fill that gap. <laughs> what do I get for my morning journey to work? Rage and confusion over how this film could be so bad. I don't know. I don't know if that's better than cheery optimism. It's certainly funnier. Just the indignant outrage alone made going back to work bearable. Never TTP. Never change. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And we will never change Disco 54. (laughs) Do not worry. So we also reached out asking for feedback prior to recording on Batman Returns. And Disco 54 said, um, next week's film, though, which is Batman Returns. Um, What a treat for us all. Tim Burton at the height of his powers and his most influential. Probably the best of the 80s, 90s Batman run of films. And Danny DeVito at his most terrifying. It went on to influence, in my mind at least... The superb Arkham Organ 
Origins game, which was also set at Christmas. Um, 100% agree with all of that. Yep. And also commented, it's really tough determining whether Batman Begins is a Christmas movie or not. Christmas is important to the plot and there's lots of Christmas stuff in it. So in that sense, it is, but it's not really about Christmas. It's about Penguin and his quest for acceptance and desire for humanity. Christmas is just a plot device to frame that against. There may be goodwill to all men, but birds really have it rough that time of year. (laughs) (laughs) We had some additional commentary that kind of covered all the bases from a thin white Duke, who we're always so happy to hear from him as well. Um, One regarding One Magic Christmas, he put, what a horrifying Christmas film. When the dad was killed and the kids were missing, I was questioning whether I was watching the right film until the revelation that it was all in her head slash a look at what if. I love me some Mary Steenburgen and Harry Dean Stanton, but this was a but this is a pile of hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so he also commented on Christmas commercials. He says in the UK our adverts have become a pretty big deal now. I love the Steens. Sainsbury's Christmas World War One truce ad from 2014 and the Mog advert from last year too, which a friend of mine acted in in a small part. That's awesome. I love that Mog one. Oh my gosh. I saw it for the first time just the other day from whoever posted it on Reddit. And, oh my gosh. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, also regarding Batman Returns, um, he writes, I'm a superhero fan, so love a fun comic book movie, Batman included. I love DeVito in this film too. He really makes the Penguin super creepy. So we agree across the board on that one. I have some feedback that I got through a text message about Julia from my friend Rebecca, who has left us a review before and written in before. So she just had a baby recently named Matthew. So she's often listens to our podcast when she's just sitting there, either feeding him or rocking him, trying to get to sleep wherever. And she says, whenever Julia talks, Matthew stops crying and listens intently. He, she said, Matthew loves Julia's voice. He always smiles when she talks. So I like whenever she talks because it makes him smile. Oh my so. goodness. That's like the sweetest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Aww. I love that. And I have one more piece of Reddit feedback that I kept out of our feedback that I wanted to read because I'm really happy with it. So user VoxHavoc, who has interacted with us before, made a post in our subreddit, Tis the Podcast, um, entitled, Stirring Up the Christmas and House Pot Again. And... (laughs) and he wrote every year that I've worked at Starbucks there's been a special playlist for our for our holiday setup the playlist is a mix of Christmas classics and more modern Christmas pop hits it's supposed to get us into the Christmas spirit and set the mood for our holiday season want to guess what song I heard about half an hour into the playlist that's right Christmas and Hollis so it seems like Starbucks at least agrees with you aspiring author of seven so that settles it. Yes, Virginia, Christmas and Hollis. That does not settle it. Starbucks also claims that they sell coffee, but if you ask anybody who knows the first thing about coffee, it is not coffee. They serve brown water that tastes like burnt acid. It is, they, they, are, they, are hardly, they are hardly a definitive answer on anything at all under the sun. And as a matter of fact, there is an entire subreddit poll, poll, post you can follow on the Starbucks Reddit asking people to, to list the most annoying songs that they have on their playlists. The masses around the world love Starbucks, so I'm going to take that as the masses loving this song. 
Uh, if you go to again, I, I just you know what, Anthony, I'm going to tag you in a post and on our coffee, and just say, hey, my friend, aspiring author 07, loves Starbucks and thinks it's great coffee. What do you guys think? And we'll see how how badly you get flamed. <laughs> First of all, do not destroy my karma like that. Number one. <laughs> Number two. When I go to Starbucks, I always get lattes or hot chocolate. I never order the coffee. But anyway, Fox Havoc, thank you for informing us of that little gym. They also we, play Nico Case, Never Turn Your Back on Mother Earth. Tom, I know the definitive way to settle this, Tom. We already did the Twitter poll and you lost. No, no, I'm, no, no. I'm sorry that you don't care at all about our, our followers and their opinions and what they said in the Twitter poll and you're willing to just dismiss them like it's a general election in the United States. But I'm not willing to, to turn into your weird electoral college system you have going right now. We have Hashtag to. this turned political again. No, it didn't. I'm just, I'm just looking for an analogy. <laughs> I'm not commenting on anything. We have a lot of listeners who aren't on Twitter. But my suggestion was going to be the week, two weeks before Christmas, so we can record the week before Christmas, I want to run a poll on our website, on Reddit, on Facebook, on Twitter, and then average out all the results. And that's the definitive. All our listeners will have a say then. And that will be our definitive answer. We can move on from this once and for all. Fair enough. So look out for that poll, listeners. Do you want to explain Patreon to everyone? I do, but first of all, you mentioned our website, and I don't think we've talked enough about it. Um, we've, we've, we keep saying every week, oh, we need to mention it, but we never do. So here it is. If you have not yet checked out tisthepodcast.com, that easy, um, and see what we've got some show notes from past shows. Um, we're a couple weeks behind on that, and we, that's where you can find our, our list, our ongoing list, and stay on top of all the news that we have. But... If you are a true Christmas elf and you need a little bit more in your life than what you're getting from us and our friends um, at other podcasts like Christmas Past and Hark and Can't Wait for Christmas, you can always subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search Tis the Podcast. If you donate as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our bonus episodes. So far, we've got the Hocus Pocus episode where we discuss the best Halloween movie ever made. And we are scheduling Batman Noel, which will be crossing mediums into discussing comic books. And Plus, we also if, plan on doing the Christmas commercials, hopefully before Christmas. But get in soon. If you get in before the end of the month, you'll at at least $3, you will get Christmas cards and letters from us. So something to look forward to. Besides our weekly podcast. Right, which will always <laughs> remain free. <laughs> Um, but if you want to help, but if you can't donate money to us in any way, and you still want to help us, please rate and review us on iTunes, Facebook, like our social media pages, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. Subscribe, share us, recommend us to friends. Um, or enemies. Or enemies. <laughs> Every rating and review and share helps us to... Helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer year-round, 365 days a year. So please do that. Um, we will have another giveaway at some point soon for you all if uh, to entice you all to share us and everything. So keep your ears out open for that. Do you know how hard it's going to be to change in 2020 and have to say 
keeping the Christmas spirit alive 366 days a year. Oh my God. <laughs> it just hit me that we're going to have to do that. Sorry, I'm thinking ahead just oh, a, a little bit. Is it leap year next year? 2020. 2020. Yeah, we've got two years, which means it'll be even more ingrained. Is it worth it to change it to 366 day? Who cares about that extra day? I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty lazy person. Okay. I know you're lazy, Julia, but do you mind announcing next week's movie for us? <laughs> I don't mind one bit because I'm stinking excited about it. Next week's, for those of you who want to watch up and get prepared, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, my favorite story about a dysfunctional family at Christmas. I'm, I'm so, so excited. I am too. I think we're. I think from this point on, we're getting into like the classic Christmas films leading up to the holiday. Definitely. Week so. after that is Rudolph, right? Rudolph, and then the week after that is the Grinch, I think. So we have a lot of classics coming out. Yeah, pretty exciting. But I'm really excited about National Lampoons. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and call it. I think this is going to break our top three. I've I feel like I don't know if it breaks Home Alone for me, but um, it's up. It's going to be up there though in the top three. Oh, it's totally going to be up there. I don't know. That's just my that's just my my guess so far. We're going to uh, have to devote a solid 45 minutes to just quotes. That's what I was about to say. I bet that's going to take up the chunk of the episode, the largest Definitely. chunk of the episode. Okay. Oh, Uncle Eddie. So we have a few questions of the week <laughs> for you guys this week. So refer, since we just did a Batman movie, I had two questions for you guys. Um, which Batman movie is your favorite? And which Batman villain in general not necessarily in a movie, is your favorite. We're not talking Colors. like one specific like villain from a movie, just in general, an entire villain, right? In the entire Batman mythos, in general, who's your favorite Batman villain and why? I'm just curious. So, Julia, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. So, my favorite Batman movies probably Dark Knight Rises. And my favorite villain is Catwoman because like most DC villains or villains in general, but DC does it really well. She's not she's not completely villainous i love her she's like more of an anti-hero kind of thing yeah she is she's not like harley quinn or something Uh -uh. i love harley quinn what about you tom (sighs) i think my favorite batman villain over the years has been scarecrow i again batman's a dark story for me and i don't know that it gets much darker than than scarecrow and the, the things the He's just a full-blown psychopath. The way he, he uses fear and, and torments people with it. Oh, gives me the heebie-jeebies like no other villain in a, really in, in any mythology. And your favorite movie was Batman Begins? Batman Sorry. Begins, yeah. Um, so my favorite <coughs> Batman movie is Batman Begins, which I said earlier. And my favorite villain, I mean, we were talking about this like a few minutes ago, how he has the best villains in all of comic book lore they're all good and i don't want to just like pick one of the famous ones like the joker or the penguin or somebody so i'm gonna go for not necessarily an obscure one but one who doesn't always get a lot of love because arnold schwarzenegger played him horribly but i love mr freeze his backstory is so tragic like super tragic and heartbreaking and I love that he turned into a villain because his wife got sick and he's just so desperate to find a cure for her. I love him. And I would love to see a proper Mr. Freeze done well in live action one day. The League of Assassins, the whole League of Assassins storyline is fun too. 
Oh, I mean, they're all fun. Oh, yeah, I, oh, I love Batman so much. I'm so I do. For Justice League. I have one more question, and then I know Tom has a question, too. But okay, um, it'll, it'll piggyback off of this one. Okay, so because this week is Thanksgiving, I wanted to ask you guys, what are your Thanksgiving traditions? And if you have any, what are your Black Friday traditions? So, Julia, why don't you go first? Thanksgiving tradition, we like to steal a paper off of somebody's driveway because we don't... No, I'm just kidding. We only <laughs> did that one year, and I felt really bad afterwards. Um Thanksgiving, we get together with family and we're lucky to have most of our family within a one hour, you know, distance from our house, which is super fantastic. So we get together, we stuff ourselves, we lay around like blobs high on tryptophan and then Black Friday, sometimes we shop and sometimes we don't. We don't have any ingrained Black Friday traditions. It's all about the family. Um, Thanksgiving for us is a, is a family time. Um, it's not really that big of a deal. It's never been that big of a deal to me. Um, we do the typical whole family thing. Um, but I am a, an, I adamantly stand in opposition to shopping on Thanksgiving. It is a family day. And so I refuse to leave and I shame and guilt my friends and family who go shopping on Thanksgiving by reminding them that that is their choice, but the people working, it is not their choice. And uh, they are depriving them of, of the same family time that we are all afforded. And I can tell by Anthony's face right now, he goes shopping on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did not know that when I was talking about that. Shame. Shame. But um, <laughs> we really, um, we, try to, we try to live in an ethos of shopping local and, and supporting small business. So Black Friday and Small Business Saturday are a big deal for Christine and I with her shop and supporting other events and things going on in town and others, what other local businesses are doing to try to break away from the big box store consumerism. We watch the parade and then Snoopy's always on too. Do you watch the parade or is the parade on at your house? Oh, I watch that sucker. Most people I know just have it on. Yeah. I love that thing. I do too. Me too. I love it. Love it. Uh, so my Thanksgiving traditions, um, so Thanksgiving is like my second favorite holiday after Christmas. It never used to be. Halloween always used to be. But like as the years go by, I become I appreciate the food and the family more now. And uh, I just love that it's a purely family day for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thanksgiving, me and Sarah get up early. Uh, at 8 a.m. we go around the turkey trap uh, at the local lake, which is a five-mile race. Um, it's for the Marissa's Fund, which we'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's uh, for cancer specifically childhood cancer i think and uh, we get like thousands of people doing it at this lake every thanksgiving morning it's really fun how long is the run it's five miles okay uh sarah can usually do it in like 45 minutes i'm like an hour 10 hour 15 but considering i don't run it all throughout the day <laughs> i don't find that bad um no not bad so afterwards we um and that's not me running the whole time i half walk it so after so after the turkey trot um go watch the parade not in person uh we'll go watch it at home and then afterwards we go upstate to my cousin's house so my dad's nephew we'll all go up he has it for dad's side of the family at his house at their amazing farmhouse which is huge and spectacular and you know we'll Eat to our heart's desire. They have football going on in one room. They have 
outside, like, my cousin's really into American Ninja. So he has, like, he built the American Ninja obstacle course at his house. So, like, everyone will be trying to do that. Wow. And uh, after dinner, the cousins will sit down, the older cousins will sit down and play Cards Against Humanity or one of those games. And it's really fun. It's just a lot of family time. Then we'll go home and sleep and take a nap. And then, sorry, but before midnight, me and Sarah will start Black Friday shopping in person at the mall. And they have a DJ at the mall and Christmas music blasting and Santa's there all night. And it's a lot of fun. Um, this year, me and Sarah are actually going to boycott Black Friday because last year we went and bought literally nothing in person. We just ended up shopping online when we got home. But we got a text from my sister the other day. She's going to be home for Thanksgiving this year. And she was like, you guys want to go Black Friday shopping with me? So we're going to go. We can't stay away. Every time we think we got out of it we are sucked back in and um <laughs> so yeah that's fun and then when we eventually wake up around noon on black friday we'll just watch netflix or something and relax and eat the leftovers so it's fun so what was your question so huh? aside from turkey what is a thanksgiving day table must have for you a must have uh-huh. Christine and I have different must-haves of the same thing. For me, I really like to, uh, I really like stuffing or well, dressing because I don't actually stuff the turkey, so dressing. But I like to make it from scratch. I'll make my own ciabatta bread and then do like an orange cranberry bourbon um, stuffing, orange cranberry Yum. bourbon walnut stuffing. That's really good. But Christine doesn't like stuffing that doesn't come from a bag. So <laughs> I'll make this delicious. And same thing, I make, uh, uh, I like to make, uh, cranberries, fresh cranberry sauce with cranberries from scratch. But for Christine, it has to come out of the can. That's the can. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I like have, the can stuff too. <laughs> we have two of everything, uh, <laughs> which is always, which is just, it's just funny. But for me, it's really, it, it, it's got to be, got to be the dressing. Can't do Thanksgiving without dressing. I'm going to do boring old pumpkin pie, but it's the only time of year I ever eat it. And I love pumpkin pie. I don't even care if it's like the pumpkin pie you get like at Walmart. Like I don't even care. It's just pumpkin pie. I'll eat it. My mom makes these amazing candied yams, which are covered in so much syrup and are so sweet. They're more of a dessert than a dinner side, but they're so good and they go really quickly the moment they're put on the table. So I'm going to have to go with that. A few years ago, I started making, um, stuffed grape leaves and hashwa for Thanksgiving. And uh, now that's kind of been a staple for me. I'm the only one in our family who eats stuffed grape leaves. So really it's just an excuse to make myself grape leaves. <laughs> so there you go, listeners. You have a wide variety of questions to answer this week. You know, let us know what you thought of Batman Returns. Is it a Christmas movie or is it not? Let us know in advance what you thought of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And, you know, let us know which Batman movie is your favorite, which Batman villain is your favorite, what are your Thanksgiving and Black Friday traditions, and what is your Thanksgiving Day staple. So do your homework, watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and Tom, I think you have exciting news for us. I do have some exciting news. This is our last week that we will announce our countdown to Christmas with more than 30 days. We have 35 days until Christmas. Right around the corner, guys. How exciting is that? Enjoy it, guys. Christmas will be here before you know it. 
And in the meantime, have a very happy Thanksgiving.